When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the E2C Network, podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. Brought to you by the Auburn Uniform Database. Visit them at auburnuniforms.com. War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to Inside the Jungle, your source for Auburn men's basketball analysis and discussion. My name is Kyle Loomis, Editor-in-Chief of the E2C Network, and it's time to not just talk about Auburn men's basketball. It's time to not just talk about the SEC tournament and Auburn in it, but it's time to celebrate your 2019 SEC tournament champions, the Auburn Tigers. Clint Richardson, welcome in, buddy. And are you excited? SEC. SEC. I was expecting a little bit more exuberance than that, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I'm incredibly excited about this. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Auburn proved me wrong i mean if you remember what i said in the preview show i said i think the only thing that auburn really needs to do is win one maybe two games lose and rest (laughs) i think you and i I both agree about that yeah i mean i kept saying like honestly the tournament game doesn't mean anything the florida game didn't mean anything the the champ as when i saw that lsu was out i was like okay this is our chance never did i think that it would turn out the way it did and that Auburn would have beaten, not only beaten Tennessee, but flat out demolished them in their home state in front of a primarily volunteer crowd. Never would have thought that. Well, here's the thing is when you and I made those uh, predictions and why we saw it playing out the way we thought it might, we were really thinking long-term benefit for Auburn in terms of their health, their you know their tiredness. Would would this playing a full tournament affect them negatively going into the NCAA tournament? That's what you and I are thinking. Not we were we weren't being Debbie Downer. We were just trying to look at it logically. Hey, you know SEC is nice, but we'd like to do a little bit better in the NCAA tournament than we did last year too. So I think that's you got to take that into account with our predictions. But man. I think you and I wouldn't trade the feeling that we have, the experience of what we just saw this past weekend for anything else in the world. And I'm not saying that we just need to forget about the NCAA tournament, but wow, what a good feeling. And I'm so jealous of you that you got to be in Auburn. (laughs) Yeah, as as soon as the the clock hit zero and the horn sounded, we headed to to Tumors and uh, joined a pretty large crowd rolling the the boats and it just continued to grow, and unfortunately, we weren't there when the team returned oh. later that night. But you know, it was it was still just a fantastic time at the corner and just seeing everybody having a blast. And of course, it paired with St. Patrick's Day made for. <laughs> I bet that you know, was interesting. <laughs> an interesting moment on a on a Sunday afternoon, but you know, it was a good time and and. You know, it was it was kind of funny. There was a lot more higher quality toilet paper this week than what you typically <laughs> find on a football weekend. Everybody's just trying to grab what they can at, at football weekends, and and now you know there's 
you don't see a, as much rolling during basketball season as you do in football season. So there's more to go around. You know, the higher quality stuff, we can splurge a little bit, right? I mean, it's the first <laughs> well, time. There, there was a small rolling after Friday or after Saturday's game, after the Florida game. And, you know, it was one of the smaller trees kind of tucked away. And, you know, you could see it, but it wasn't too bad. And then Sunday came. And, of course, it's nothing's going to compare to the snowing that hit the plains of Auburn in 2010. But this was, for a basketball game, this was pretty intense. Like, I remember, you know, 2015 running down to Tumor's Corner after beating LSU on, I think that was actually my birthday. And, you know, just, we, there were so few of us, but we were having the best time ever. And now it's the entire area. Everybody who was still in town from, you know, spring break had just ended. Students are now back in town as we're recording this. And, you know, it was just, it was an entirely different feeling. And every step that this program has taken forward was just kind of embodied right then and there. You know, basketball is what we consider a, a common term, the big three. You know, football, men's basketball, baseball are the big draws for college campuses. It just is. It's the way it is. Um, it doesn't take anything away from the other sports. It's just the way the popularity goes. But at the same time, football is far and away king, especially in the South. And so, you know, you always have that question of, is this place truly just a football school? And if you want to see a testament of a university that truly does their best to embody that we are not a football school. We are not a basketball school. We're not an equestrian school. We are an Auburn Tigers athletics family. You saw that displayed on Sunday afternoon on St. Paddy's Day with a twice in two, two in times in one day filled up Tumor's Corner celebrating an SEC tournament championship. And that makes my heart just if I may be so weird and cliche, sore, literally, because that that moment that I got to witness online and shamefully not be a part of was amazing. You know, I was celebrating doing laps around my kitchen in here, but man, I just wish that I could have been there with you guys. And I, I'm glad, though, that you got to celebrate with the Auburn family and experience that because I'm sure there'll be one day, Clint, that when you're old and crotchety more than you are now, uh, that you'll tell that to your grandkids and tell them where I will tell my hopefully kids and grandkids one day where I was when the 2019 Auburn team made it a miraculous run to the championship. I mean, it was it was insane, and and you know, for like you said, the entire city came out. The Auburn football team was there celebrating. Um, former Auburn football players were were seen, and it was just. You know, again, it just embodies what this team has gone through. It embodies the the Auburn spirit that we get, that we talk a lot about, and, and get made fun of by people who just don't understand it. And it was you mean people that are sitting a... on couches for March? Yep, that's just very true. <laughs> well, look, uh, we've got a lot to talk about because we want to talk a little bit about each game. We're not going to go into the full depth that we normally would because that would just take us forever. And we've got some March Madness to talk about as well. Uh, but for a second here. Let's talk about the history behind this. And I'm sure people have heard these stats mentioned this weekend before, but let's just reiterate them here. The first appearance in the title game for Auburn men's basketball since 2000. That's taking you all the way back to uh, Cliff Ellis, Chris uh, Porter, Mamadou Njai, Damian Fishback. I was there for that game and watched us 
fall to Arkansas in the waning moments in the Georgia Dome. And it's been quite a while since to see us be in that spotlight in that moment. So first time since 2000, first title since 1985, and only the fourth overall (laughs) SC tournament title for Auburn in history. As we've talked about a lot, Clint, this is not an extensive history for Auburn in the title game, but wow, the moment's pretty, they're pretty special. Well, and this was also the first time that I, I can't remember if they said ever or just in the current format that a team has won the title playing four straight games. And, you know, the teams they get that double by are all but, were all but guaranteed to win the title before this season. And, and Auburn just came in and broke all of it. They broke their own records. They broke the records of the, the tournament itself. If you go and look at the past winners of the tournament, I think like the last five or six all say Kentucky Wildcats. Oh. And, you know, it's just with, with Tennessee winning over Kentucky, it was just nice to know that there was going to be some parody on that list. And for it to be Auburn, makes it so much better oh it does and it's it's nice to unseat you know the the throne of kentucky much less the apparently heir apparent in tennessee you know everybody assumed it was going to be tennessee and auburn comes in there and has no losses throughout the month of march yet knock on wood <laughs> i'm knocking on every shut up of, i know i know I've, I've said it i've jinxed this it's, it's all my fault so you all can blame me when auburn finally if they finally fall in March Madness. But before March Madness, let's take a look back at each one of these games, kind of think about some of the storylines and things we want to talk about of that. So it started way, 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 way back on Thursday with the Missouri Tigers. And, you know, I talked a lot about whether we'd see Georgia or Missouri and whether we would see certain one or whether we wanted a certain team. I think you and I both got what we wished. Not another chance at UGA or a chance for them to beat us, but... We get a second opportunity at Missouri, and we made the most of it, 81-71. to 71. But this game was a lot closer throughout most of the game, which is a storyline pretty much throughout the whole SEC tournament. Uh, were you pretty scared throughout this Missouri game? What were your thoughts about it? I, I started getting worried, um, but I think when you look back at the previous matchup, like I think it was tied or Auburn had a very small lead going into halftime. And Auburn had only a two-point lead going into halftime in Nashville this time around. And Auburn was able to just explode and win by 20, I think, in Missouri. And fully expected Auburn to do that again. And it kind of, you know, it was only a 10-point win this time, but they did run away from it. And, yeah, this Missouri is a really talented team. I don't think that they're the best coached team um, there's a reason you were playing on Wednesday and didn't have a very good seating in the tournament. <laughs> um, you know, Geist and Watson were able to go for 25 and 20 and just were, were matchup nightmares for Auburn. But just the way that Auburn responded against that with Jared Harper only having five points, not his best game at all, but everybody who hit the court scored. You know, you've got. Bryce Brown leading with 17, Chuma with 12, Horace Spencer and oh my Malik goodness. Dunbar at 11. I, I'll admit, I did not know that Horace had 11 points, let alone a double-double. Um, man, what? Gosh, we're just going to... I'm going to hate to watch uh, 
Spencer lead this team. I'm He's telling gonna, you, man. Hor- that's Agent- going to be tough. Agent Zero is becoming a legend in the latter half and latter portion of his senior season here. I mean, he, he's been slowly progressing throughout his career and finding his role and his niche. And boy, has he exploded onto the scene in some very crucial moments. And he does so just like all the other players. You know, everyone scores here, like you said, um, to contribute at a time where, you know, you might see a, an Auburn team in the past and even this past season at certain points panic when they lose one of their best players Chumo Kiki gets into some foul trouble when he's been the hot guy and so you'd think that the offensive production might go down with them being able to focus on Brown and Harper but then you see Dunbar with 11 points Spencer with 11 points Macklemore with six Purifoy with five Dowdy eight and McCormick six I, I want to say this too before this is kind of stepping ahead to the other games I do think that we need to give some credit to Daniel Purifoy in this tournament, and it should be said before we get too far. Um, again, he is still far from where he needs to be, but boy, you talk about Spencer stepping up in some moments and making some smart plays and taking opportunities when they're given to you. Daniel Purifoy did that in this tournament. Yeah, did he ever. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I've been kind of critical about uh, Daniel's play this year, and possibly rightly so rightly yeah uh, you know he went from playing eight minutes to 11 to 13 a game not really contributing when he's on the on the court you know it's all but wasted minutes at times um, but he's just Bruce said early on that he's got to earn his spot back on the court and I think he really did that you know we'll never know what happens in practice and off the court but you know in the the 40 minutes that we're actually watching him play and the 20 that D'Angelo's on the court, at least for this Missouri game, he's really earned it. And you know, if you look at the bot score for Missouri, five points, two of four overall, four rebounds, two assists, no turnovers and no fouls, didn't do anything to hurt the team. You go on to <clears throat> South Carolina, he drops a six-point game, uh, didn't record a point against Florida, but... You know, still had two two rebounds and had a stolen ball. Only played 11 minutes, but he had a plus-minus of plus eight. And then against Tennessee, scores 10 points, four or five overall, two rebounds, and only in 10 minutes. You know, I think that especially against Tennessee, he's made the most of the the small window that he's been given recently. And I'll, I'll say this, not just for Furifoy, but everyone that saw playing time during this tournament i think they each had a significant impact and i'm not just saying that just just for the feel good isms but just to say that you can i can think of a moment where Javon McCormick rose up to the challenge of Jared Harper being out in a game where Samir Dowdy knocked down a couple threes and played some outstanding defense where Horace Spencer annihilated some folks you know it's very rare that you can point to a game, much less a series of games, and say this was a team effort for that extended period of time. And I think this is probably the one of the most proudest moments that I've had in Auburn athletics because of the way this tournament was won. Um, and I, I, I'm just so excited for what these players have, are going to be able to think back on in their time here and be able to kind of put their stamp on Auburn basketball history. But um, let's let's move on to another game here. Uh, Auburn Tigers beat Missouri. 81 to 71 to move on to the second game against the South Carolina Gamecocks. And now we see the matchup with 
Frank Martin, and you and I have talked about it ad nauseum, why can't Bruce Pearl beat Frank Martin? Most of the time, that's because of ridiculously, unreasonably good basketball players like Michael Carrera. Then they, they shouldn't be able to. I'm not, I'm not going to get on my soapbox tonight. I promise. I'll stop. But they had a great player in Chris Silva that you knew was going to give us a matchup nightmare, especially with our lack of size. And boy, did you see that at the beginning of the game. Chris Silva, he came out to play in South Carolina's game against us. You know, I, I'm so glad that we never had to face Chris Silva again. We think. Are you sure and he's done? He should be done. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's weird that those kind of how long have you been here players have have just come from South Carolina recently. But Silva has just been so tough for Auburn. And I think they said, you know, about halfway through the game that in the two meetings, or in the game and a half that South Carolina and Auburn have met, Chris Silva was like 14 of 15 from the field. And, you know, I think he scored 30 points in the regular season matchup and he scores 27 in the tournament. And he goes 9 of 12 overall. Somehow this big dude was four for four. Don't, don't even say it. Oh, God. Three point land and had 11 rebounds. He played 35 of the 40 minutes. And, you know, Auburn did a good job of drawing fouls on him. He had four fouls at the end of the game. And, you know, if I can't tell you when those came, but if they came a little bit earlier, maybe he wouldn't have been playing 35 minutes and then would have been able to make it an easier ending of the game for Auburn. Well, here's the interesting thing about this. Now, I should have started with a Missouri game, but you'll notice that Auburn had at least one giant to overcome in each game. Not, and I don't say giant in terms of size, but in terms of the player that's hot, the player to beat. It was Geist for Missouri. It's Silva for South Carolina. I would say it's Hayes for Florida. And then you've got the onslaught of Tennessee that we thought we were going to be facing with Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, and Bone. But Silva alone, I thought, was going to be our downfall. But what... A brilliant bit of coaching by Bruce Pearl to see what was happening at the start of that game. He's been holding Austin Wiley back for injuries, for whatever reasons, because he's not ready. And then you plug him in at the right moment when Chris Silva is getting hot and looks like this is going to get out of hand, and he makes an instant impact scoring, blocking defensively, and reminds South Carolina that, yeah, you may want to go to Chris Silva nonstop here, but I've got something for you to get him out of his rhythm. I thought that was a great move by Coach Pearl. You know, and I, I, I agree, and I love how, like you said, he kind of did use Austin Wiley as a trump card. And, you know, with Coach Pearl being as open as he is, we might know the answer to this, but highly doubt it. But we'll never know how hurt Austin was or how ready he's been past couple of weeks. I mean, he dressed out for the Missouri game, but didn't get any time on the court and then froze him in against South Carolina. Just kind of as a, we just need something to change. Austin, just go stop him once. And, you know, Silva is an incredible athlete, an incredible basketball player, but he's just a very momentum based. And you see that in his stats, nine of 12 overall, five of 11 from the free throw line and you know if you can just ruin one possession for him it's it's gonna affect him and Austin was able to come in only played three minutes against South Carolina played three minutes against Florida played nine against Tennessee you know I I don't know if this is you know coach Pearl kind of working him back in or using him truly as a trump card and, and it's 
kind of weird that you've got a potential NBA lottery pick that you're using as such, and he's only going to get single-digit minutes of playtime. But isn't that the brilliant thing of Coach Pro? Because we've had the problem of, you know, he's not there at the beginning of the season. We talked about it at nauseum. He's not there. You try to plug him in. The offense kind of gets out of whack. The team's kind of out of whack. He he leaves. Team's out of whack again. And instead of trying to force the issue and, and make the guy be a starter again, you just work go with what's working, and you find where he fits in. It's what he's done so well, I think, with Horace Spencer. And more credit goes to Horace Spencer for seizing the opportunity and making the best of that six-man type role. But Austin Wiley, you don't think of putting the NBA talent only in for three minutes if he's healthy. And, you know, we think he's mostly healthy. But I thought that was a brilliant move by Coach Perrell, and it got them out of the rhythm of Chris Silva scoring for just enough for Auburn to make a run. To switch over to the bi- the bigger storyline, I think, like and Jared Harper, there's a bigger moment coming up. But in this game, at the end of the game, he just takes over and pretty much takes the entire team on his back and says, you know what, I'm going for 12 for 14 from the free throw line, and we're just going to put this game away. <laughs> I think Samir said it after this game of, you know, Jared, you need some ice on your back because you did carry this team. And, geez, Jared was just indispensable for this game. 27 points overall, 6 of 13 from the field, 3 of 8 from the three-point line. Like you said, 12 of 14 from the charity stripe. The smallest guy on the court led the team in rebounds with 6, had 6 assists, only had one foul and three turnovers. I mean, and still played 34 minutes. So he got a couple of minutes of rest, but not not a whole lot. No, and I, I think that we were worried about the time spent for certain players in here in this tournament, and I think you needed to try to find areas to rest them. Uh, but when all everything's said and done, I'm so glad that it turned out the way it did because of the SEC championship. But And we got great moments like Jared having this game and carrying the team which we're about to talk about the second game where he carried the team, but just not till the end of the game. And that's the game against Florida where Auburn eventually wins 62 to 76. Is that the correct score there? I thought it was a little bit closer than that. If I, if I'm not mistaken, was it Florida 62 Auburn 76? I don't know. It was 65, 62. That's what I was. I think the stats we're looking at has it wrong. So the final score was 65 to 62 because I knew it was a defensive battle here for Auburn, and I'll be honest with you, Clint, for Florida, I was super worried because I knew we had to go up against Hayes after battling against Silva, and I just did not see Auburn getting past this one for whatever reason. We've beaten them before, but I just thought this is when Auburn gives out. Well, yeah, and I agree, and it was you know kind of partly my prediction beforehand that Auburn was going to win two and bail out and do something different, um, that Auburn has traditionally and historically not really played well when having to play back-to-back-to-back like this. We've seen it in the early season tournaments, and we've seen it the few times that Auburn's actually played deep into a postseason tournament. Um, I thought that Florida was coming off of a really good win on a a number one seed LSU that probably wasn't ever going to play like that again with the situations... Uh, surrounding that program right now but I you know for for this game to have gone as close as it did I I, I really did start to get 
worried that this this might be the end of this one and, and it's time to start focusing at uh you know the big dance but here's the cool thing about this game and it was a defensive battle but you saw auburn's what you were about to see for the next game too defensive prowess come to the forefront everyone knows that they can score and score in literal buckets but when they lock down on defense they're able to compete with the best of them. And I would argue, had they played some better defense in the middle of conference play, we'd be talking about a whole lot different scenarios right now. We may not even be talking about the SC Championship because of the different seating. You know, it, my favorite phrase that I use here, if ifs and buts for candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. I know you love that one. but <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> um, I use that one on the uh, the prediction show, by the way, so you'll have to go over there and, and, and hear that beautiful thing being said again. Um, but... With the defensive battle, Jared Harper came off a game where he literally carries the team, and then he takes over, but just for the last few seconds of the game, you know, it, it looks like Florida might have the momentum to come back and, and steal this one from Auburn, and Jared Harper walks the ball down the court with seconds left, lines himself up with the goal, looks at his defender, looks down at his feet pretty much to see if he's you know still behind NBA range, and launches an arcing, beautiful shot, and wow, that is a literal, proverbial dagger to the heart of the Gators, and it was one of the most beautiful moments of the tournament. Oh man, what a shot, and it, it did catch me off guard when I saw there were only 10 seconds left on the clock. Like I was, I did not realize that it was the end of the game. I felt, still thought we had a good bit left, and and just to do what he did, you know, now looking back at it and realizing that situation that probably wasn't the right decision by the book but when you've got a guy like Jared Harper who can just drain it from anywhere on that court I don't know how else you take the ball out of his hands right there Mm -mm. and I think that's one of the decisions that coach Pearl has made during his time here is that he's let his players have the freedom to make those especially Jared Harper a guy who's deserves that leeway to some degree. Now, if he abuses it, of course, you pull it back from him. But I can't think of a time where he's really abused it. And he's coming off a hot game. He's probably still got a hot hand, even though he hasn't scored a lot in this game. So you trust in your guys, and you see what happens sometimes that they come through for you. Now, if you're going to talk about the beautiful shot there, you also got to talk about what happens literally five seconds later and the controversy surrounding this game. Now, it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to some Florida fans... You know, it goes one way. It should have gone one way. He talked to Auburn fans. They probably agree with him. It probably should have gone another way, that same way. Uh, but we're very thankful that uh, three defenders on one guy at the end of the game, there was no foul called. Um, pretty interesting no, no call where I think you can make a case that a Florida player traveled, um, also lost control of the ball, and, you know, if he still had control, he would have been fouled by not one, not two, but three Auburn players. What do you make of that end of the game no call against Florida? I think that there were three potential calls that could have been made. Like you said, he he could have traveled, he could have been fouled on the floor, and he could have been fouled in the act of shooting. <clears throat> and, you know, when you slow it down, it's really easy. He was fouled on the floor. And if you don't call that, then he traveled, and then he was fouled in the act of shooting. I think that's the order right there. And if he was fouled on the floor, it's a double bonus situation. He's got two free throws coming up regardless. I, of course, I'm okay with how it was called because it benefited my team. 
but I think just in principle and the art of officiating, it was a terribly blown call. Um, I don't know how you swallow your whistle at that moment. Um, I, I want to give kudos to the officials for not interfering with the end of the game and, you know, having the strength to swallow your whistle, but I just, I, I don't know. I don't really know how you're supposed to perceive this one. I think Bryce played fantastic defense, just stood there and kept his hands up. Samir probably did pretty good defense. And, you know, if, if an official is standing up a step or two left or right of where he was, he probably would have seen a foul there. Javon absolutely fouled. <laughs> Javon yeah, thought we were playing rugby. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it's Auburn wanted the foul and they didn't call it. They either didn't call it or Auburn just kind of mentally lapsed on that play call from Bruce. But it, in ideal world, it never should have gotten there. Auburn should have fouled him before he even crossed the half court line. And, and I'm all for fouling when up three. And don't don't let him get that foul. Don't get him. Don't let him get that shot up and have an opportunity to tie it at the free throw line. And but I I don't I really don't know what the conversation inside the league office was after that whistle. And I don't blame any Florida fans for being upset. But I think when you get to the kind of the calls for we deserved to shoot three I think that's where you go a little bit too far I don't think you I do not think that Florida deserved three free throws in that call I think it was on the floor and you got two and there's a big difference between those two calls and here's the thing too you know if the Florida player had established his position and taken the shot this is probably a whole different conversation. He had still not even – he was just trying to throw himself up in the air at that point to get to throw it up towards the goal. There was no – it was clearly an intent to act at that point to try to get a whistle blown there. And I, I do commend the referees for not falling for that act and probably honestly for the no call on the floor or the no call on the travel – making up for that on the other end there. I think that's probably what you amounted to. The point is this. Now, don't don't give me any makeup calls. I, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I don't believe in that either. I know. I don't think that, because I saw it, people were, were saying that t- the official's not calling it at the last second is a makeup call from the Florida Gator kicking his leg out on a three-pointer earlier. So, no. Well, no, I don't mean, and I, I don't mean makeup. That's not how this works. And I don't mean it makeup for like something like that, something that's not related, but in this same stretch sequence of events there, like you said, if you're not going to call the foul on the floor, that you can't call the foul there at when he just jumps up into the air and throws the ball towards the basket without establishing position before a travel non-call. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, Let's let's be honest. If Florida fans want to raise Kane because of this call, where have you been the rest of the year? And where have you been the last few years? If you think this is the worst call that an SEC basketball official has ever made, oh boy. Boy, you haven't I, played a game with Teddy Valentine then. <laughs> I, I got a laundry list of, of events, and we've got 
a laundry list of archives that you can go back through and and check out there this was not the most egregious call by a long shot do you think anything about the announcement today of Auburn being named the homecoming game for Florida football had anything to do with this call (laughs) (laughs) no not at all I would hope not but I'm sure there are going to be plenty of jokes made at that game next year uh, about this situation but thankfully it works out in Auburn's favor uh, and we've already mentioned it a lot here the next game the most honestly the most important game in it all because it's the game that gives you the national title excuse me the national title Woo, we're getting stepping ahead there a little bit maybe maybe a little presumptuous uh but auburn comes into a game against tennessee who just the night before had gotten done playing the quote unquote uh sec championship game against kentucky it felt that way it looked that way the prognosticators said it was the championship game um I'll give it to them. It was a great game against Kentucky and Tennessee, back and forth, back and forth. And, yeah, if they were on different sides of the bracket, that's a great championship game. But the fact of the matter is you got to show up for a uh, a title game against no matter who it is, even if you think that you can beat them. And the fact of the matter is this. Auburn showed up ready to play their best game of the season. Tennessee did not. And, boy, what is the beauty. Oh, man, just I, I don't understand what it does for you as a player to come out and say this game didn't matter that with a trophy, a ring, a banner, a potential number one seed in the tournament, how you can come back afterwards and say the last game mattered more to us. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I hope that Rip Barnes had a really tough team meeting following those comments. If he's half the coach, I think he is. I think there was some very uh, choice words said to some players that you know even thought those type of comments there. Um, but the reality is this, is that Auburn had a mission, and there, that slogan has been unfinished business. And they felt like they uh, were not cheated, but some circumstances made it more difficult for them than it should have been last year to win not just a regular season title, but a SEC tournament title. And they rose to the occasion this time. And boy, a defense. I mean, I have never seen a, a team of Tennessee's caliber look so pitiful in my life. And I, I'm surprised that the turnover margin wasn't bigger than it actually was. 17 turnovers for Tennessee in this game. Only seven for Auburn. I seriously thought we were in the 20s for Tennessee. Uh, I would say that about half and half. Uh, these turnovers are due because of Auburn's defense, but I think it's more because of how rattled Tennessee was in this game. And Auburn came out and just punched them in the mouth and was not taking no for an answer. Well, and you know, I always like to look at the the points off turnover stat, and Auburn had 21 to Tennessee's 11. And going into halftime, it was 12 Tennessee turnovers to Auburn's two, and the points off turnovers were like. 12 to 0 in Auburn's lead. And Auburn just, you know, whether it was Tennessee just didn't want to be there and they were mentally and physically exhausted from the game the night before, it doesn't matter. Auburn made them pay when they made mistakes. And, you know, I, as annoying as it was in game with the SEC network and ESPN going to the, the Sky Cam and the split screens, it was so much fun to just watch the opposing coaches just be baffled by Auburn. And, you know, I, I do like Rick Barnes 
a lot. I think he's a fantastic coach and that he's going to do a lot of good stuff with Tennessee. But I couldn't help but think back to Auburn's previous coaching staff when I saw a head coach just sitting on the bench with his head in his hand, not knowing what to do. And he did it from a very early point in the game. And I think he realized what the situation was he found himself in with his team early on. And I, I don't, I think he looks at his team there after the situation last night and probably how they were feeling and knew that this was going to be a tall task to beat Auburn on this game. And I mean, when you look across the stat line, 41% from the field for Auburn, 38% from beyond the three point arc. I thought it was more than that. 81% from free throws. We already talked about turnovers and points off of turnovers, total rebounds, 39 to, to their 33 uh, second chance points, 17. Bench points, 30 to 10. Clint, I had a request from a, a certain individual on our prediction show for the March Madness uh, that was this a complete game, and he will be uh, disappointed me if I don't ask you that question. Was this the complete game that you were wanting? I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Auburn just came out on fire, led 32 to 23 at halftime. It was able to put up a 40, a 52 spot in the second half and just continued to run away with this one. Auburn, you know, of course, didn't shoot as well percentage wise as Tennessee, but when you're able to throw up 13 more shots overall, and my gosh, Auburn threw up 43 pointers on the day. And of course, 38% is not the best number in the world, especially with Tennessee's 53. But Auburn was 10 of 20 for a 50-50 percentage in the second half from the three-point arc. And, you know, with Anthony McElmore struggling, four fouls in only six minutes, didn't record a single shot, let alone a point. You know, he's the only one that didn't score. And like we mentioned earlier, Daniel Purifoy came out and scored 10. Chuma was on fire with 18 and 13 rebounds. And Bryce Brown, of course, with his his 19 points and you know I think Auburn did a really good job of kind of shoring up some mistakes Jared Harper had two early fouls and only played 19 minutes he had nine points because he struggled you know staying out of foul trouble early and the entire squad scoring um you know Anthony being out is a big detriment for sure but Horace Spencer was able to fill that in. Austin Wiley got a few more minutes in this game and played incredibly well. Um, I mean, this was an entire team effort. And, you know, I think I just love the quotes that came after the game that um, Austin Wiley cut down the nets last year because he didn't know if he would ever have another opportunity. Um, Danjel Purifoy and Samir Doughty did not cut down the nets because they didn't do anything to earn it. And they were for sure going to cut it down this time. And, you know, Auburn, Auburn kind of backed in to a, a share of the title last season, but there's no taking this one away from these Tigers. No, it's there's no way you're going to take this one. You know, my, I was most impressed with Javon McCormick in this game, rising up when Jared Harper had two quick fouls and uh, playing more minutes than him. And, uh, you know, th this entire tournament, is of players, whether they're the starters, the guys that come in right away, or the guys that see very little minutes at all in certain situations, rising to occasions, whether it's Austin Wiley coming in for three minutes a game and not eliminating but keeping in check Chris Silva, Javon McCormick 
running point guard for the championship game. Whether it's Chumo Kiki rising and scoring like he's been, we've known he can do at certain points. You can point to every player in this tournament that got on the floor and say they had a moment that they will forever etch in history, and it results in a SEC title in the tournament for the first time since 1985. And I'm so glad we got to experience a couple final notes from this, so because we still got to talk about the next game. For the Tigers also, it doesn't end with a trophy uh, for the team, but we got three players on the all-tournament team, Chumo Kiki, Bryce Brown, and Jared Harper. And let's not forget, hang on a second, I actually messed that one up. I thought that Jared Harper was going to be the MVP of the tournament, but it actually ends up being Bryce Brown. And now that I think about it, it probably is most fitting in the big game where he has the biggest impact. He's the senior. He's the one that's seen the lows and the highs of this team. Bryce Brown, what a fine moment for him to cap off an amazing conference play. Yeah, I mean, Bryce was able to go out and score double-digit points in all four games. And, I mean, I know Jared had a 27-point game, but um, had two games that he just wasn't as big of a factor in the game. But I think Bryce was consistently... yes the best player on the on the court and and I think that the trophy did go to the right player. Yeah, and I think that's what would be the most valuable, the one that can consistently give you what you need to be successful. And Bryce Brown doesn't just epitomize that for this tournament, but for this team probably for the last four years and it in some capacity has offered that to the Auburn Tigers. And we're so glad to see it in the way it did. But it's not over yet, folks, because it was not in question before the SEC tournament. It certainly isn't questioned now because they've got that security locked up by winning the tournament. Um, Auburn is going dancing for the second time in only two years, and it is a change of pace for us as Auburn fans to watch an Auburn Tiger basketball team go to the tournament twice in two years. That is just something I thought I wouldn't see for quite some time after living in the doldrums. Uh, But for this one, we lock up a five-seed for the tournament. Now we're going to talk about that game in just a second, but let's kind of maybe take a step back here for a second and talk about March Madness as a whole for Auburn's perspective. If you want to hear our thoughts as a network for the whole tournament, which are pretty interesting, might I add you some interesting takes by Benjamin King, some also very mean things said to me by Drew, uh, by Drew Hooper. I'm still hurt by it, Drew. You know, it's okay. I'll get over it. Uh, but you need to go check out the prediction show if you haven't done so already, but specifically for Auburn here, Come in with a five seed. Do you agree with that seeding for Auburn, Clint? No, not at all. And why is that? I I don't know how you look at Auburn and and put them there. And to think, you know, I, I, I think that projecting Auburn as a five seed coming into the SEC tournament was a very fair evaluation. I think that Auburn had played a really good season. They let a couple of games slip that they probably shouldn't have. Um, they they struggled, but they were playing their best basketball going into the tournament. And then they continued to rise their, to raise their level of play. And I, I, I heard it from a couple of other people, and I think that it could, it's a very good theory that seeding was pretty much in place coming into Selection Sunday and, and Championship Sunday. You know, I don't know how else you, you know, you really punish Tennessee and give them the two seed and punish Auburn with a five seed. 
I think Auburn's better than Kansas, the four seed in their own quadrant of the bracket. I think that Auburn is a better team than Florida State, a four seed in the West. I think that they're a better five seed than Mississippi State. And Wisconsin, of course, is a five seed who is not playing very well. Um, I, I just don't know how you really put Auburn in that position. And, and what does, what does that trophy mean to the committee if you're pretty much going to punish Auburn for it? Like, you know, if, if Auburn had played the way that you and I had both kind of expected one or two wins and then bail out and rest the rest of the week, how, how much would Auburn have fallen? It doesn't seem like it. They would have fallen too much at that point. But if you take into account what they get when they have success, then it makes you wonder. And I, I would agree with that. I, I think this is a disappointment. Um, but as you and I have talked about in, in various formats here, Auburn teams, for whatever reason, rise to the occasion when they are treated as underdogs or they're treated as less than they actually are. So you can look at it from, yes, we got disappointed. We got held out from the seed that we actually deserved. But what fuel does that feed into the already slogan that's proven so true for this team of unfinished business? They still don't believe in us. Well, let's prove them wrong. And they had the opportunity to do that. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> Not only did they get the seed they didn't want, they didn't get the region they really wanted either. Not just from distance, because, you know, you come off from an NCAA tournament last year. We have to go all the way out to San Diego. You're going pretty much just as far to Salt Lake City to play in one of the most difficult, I would say, regions, in my opinion, in the entire NCAA tournament. Before we talk about what do you think is going to happen for Auburn, what do you think about the region as a whole, and do you see a path for Auburn going forward to something of a Sweet 16 Elite 8 run, or maybe even farther? I I think you're right that this is a very difficult bracket. Um, this region is very tough. Um, you know, you've got Kentucky. I think Houston's a really good three seed. Um, North Carolina is going to be tough to get by. Um, I don't like sitting at the five twelve matchup. Nope. And, History doesn't like it, but also New Mexico State is a 30-win team. They, they're 30-4. and four. I believe that they won their conference tournament. Um, you know, they don't have any amazing wins, but they only lost to Kansas by three. Um, well, let know, them I'm, play Kansas in the second or in the first round, and not us. <laughs> but I. Honestly, I'm more concerned about that 5-12 matchup in and of itself than I am a possible Auburn-Kansas meeting. I don't think Kansas is playing very good right now. Um, I mean, it was the first time in, I think, 15 years that Kansas didn't win the, the Bid 12 regular season title. Um, I just don't, I don't like where Kansas is right now, and I think that Auburn could match up with them pretty well. I just... I don't like that history of the 5-12. And, you know, even if you put Auburn where Kansas is at the 4-13, I, I like those chances a lot better. Miss, uh, New Mexico State is a good team. They've been playing good basketball, and they know how to win games. It's hard to win 30 games in a season, and they were able to do it. Yeah, it doesn't matter what conference you come from. That's a long season to get through, and to get through it relatively unscathed by most standards is an accomplishment of itself. So I think you should feel that. And I think what I'm hearing from you is 
Auburn has a tall mountain to climb coming out of the gate here. But there's an opportunity for them to really make some noise if some things play their way. Is that what I'm hearing from you? I, I think so. Um, you know, I think just I haven't done a bracket just yet, but I think just looking at it that Auburn, if they get past New Mexico State, will be able to beat Kansas. And then you've got North Carolina. And I think Utah State's going to beat Washington. Um, the Pac-12 is not very good this year. That puts you at a 1-8 matchup, uh, North Carolina-Utah State. I, I still think that North Carolina wins that. Auburn has never beaten UNC. Um, and I think if Auburn gets hot, they can compete with anybody, and that includes another one seed. So I, I fully expect Auburn to make it into the Sweet 16. I, I find it hard to make myself think that they're going to make it any further. So I think, and I was going to ask this question, but you've already kind of answered it. So you expect a Sweet 16. Would you agree with this statement for yourself, at least, that a surprise would be an Elite Eight appearance and a disappointment would be anything less than a Sweet 16? Absolutely. I think it's a fair statement. And I've talked to a lot of Auburn fans, uh, those on our uh, who are a part and involved in our network, but outside of it, too, that feel the same way that a Sweet 16 is what we think this team is capable of and deserves, and I think that's what's going to happen. And you and I have already touched on New Mexico State a lot here, but what do you think is going to play a bigger factor in this game since it's the one coming up? We'll play Thursday uh, the 21st at 12.30 p.m. Central Time in Salt Lake City. You can watch the game on TNT if you're not at work. I am, which really is terrible. Uh, but that's besides the point. New Mexico State versus Auburn, what's the bigger factor for you? The bench of New Mexico State or the bench of Auburn? Because they both have good depth and both – Benches play a lot of minutes. Do you whose do you think, in terms of a bench, has the biggest impact in the game? I mean, that's that's really tough. Um, I think Auburn has to have good bench play in this tournament. I think Bryce and Jared are going to be attempted to shut down. Um, New Mexico State's really going to have to go after those two. Um, I think that Anthony needs to have a really big game yes. and cannot get into foul trouble early. Um, I think that we'll see a little bit more out of Austin Wiley. Um, you know, maybe it's 10, 11, 12 minutes in the game, but I think we'll see him more than we did in Nashville. Um, but, you know, I, I was really happy with the way that Auburn shot the ball in um, Bridgestone Arena that we've been talking about it a lot. That's a big arena. Auburn hasn't really done well on the road, haven't done very well. Um, in bigger arenas, and this is this is the same arena that the Utah Jazz play in. It seats eighteen thousand people. It's a big arena that Auburn has got to get some good sight lines early, and and hopefully with the Tigers leaving Tuesday to travel out there, that they're going to be able to get enough experience on this court to be able to shoot well. And you know, Auburn just can't afford to to play this like they have any other road games and they can't do it like they did last year's NCAA tournament but thankfully they're coming off of a, a very emotional run and they're still healthy at this point last year this team was bruised and beaten coming into the tournament and I think those two things are going to help Auburn go deeper into this tournament than we did last year. There's three things I know for this tournament for Auburn they rise to the occasion when they're not expected of much they're healthy, like you said, and they're on a high right now. 
And I do think that they are poised to make another run again. Now, how far is the question? As we've already said, Sweet 16 is the expectation. I think anything less is a disappointment. But the final question I have for you, Clint, to close us out tonight. Where do you have Auburn officially finishing in the NCAA tournament? Well, they're winning the whole thing, of course. Oh, now are you going to be a Ben King on me, really? No. Um, like I said, I don't, ha- I don't haven't done a bracket just yet, but I realistically, I, love- I just can't see Auburn topping UNC to make it into the Elite Eight. And I agree with you. I, I, th- I think that I think most of this bracket, top to bottom, will go chalk. Um, there will be a few upsets here and there, mainly because of bad seeding. Then you know, just seed upsets, but um, it's going to be, this is going to be a really, really good tournament to just sit back and watch this week. And the best thing is that our team is playing their best game at the end of the season, so you know they have a shot at everything. Well, that that's going to do it for our discussion on the SEC tournament. Tournament champs, everybody celebrate, enjoy it, but we've got plenty of business left in March Madness, and hopefully when we get back together at the end of the season, we'll be talking about Maybe another championship. That's a little bit of a step out, but hey, it's possible. Uh, before we get out of here, Clint, let's give our information where they can find us. Uh, they can do so for me on Twitter at TigerI24. Where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at ClintAU24, and you can check out my website, the Auburn Uniform Database at AuburnUniforms.com. And that's all we have for you in this edition of Inside the Jungle. But until we talk to you again, War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to e2cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing, that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you?